I think sometimes we believers get a wrong, unbiblical attitude about our relationship in our, in our society today. It is true that in Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us we're strangers and we're exiles uh, on the earth. And we desire a better country. But in the meantime, in light of what Daniel, uh, Jeremiah 29 is saying, hey, be a good citizen while you're here. Okay? Know there's a distinction. Know we're going to be in a better place later on. But let's be good citizens. And you read in Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Yes. Don't want to tear that down or demean it. But the other side of the coin is we should be good citizens in the society that we live in here. We're citizens here too. Amen? Everybody with me? Now, you find that kind of thing, for example, in Romans 13. What does it say? Obey the rules the, the administrators over our society are the instruments of God. And by the way, they don't bear the weapon for no reason. They are enforcers of that which is good in society. Now, are there examples of failure in that area and departing? Yes. But overall, they are there to help society and keep us civil. So obey. Uh, Romans 13, we're not even going to turn to it, but Romans 13 says, pay your taxes. Honor the people who are over you. Be a good citizen. Everybody with me? Now, that's what Daniel's doing, and that's what's going to get him in trouble, by the way. Now, I want you to go hold your place in Daniel, and I want you to go to one other place with me, and that's in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Can you go there? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. We're going to see a little more about how we're supposed to live. And we are to be the good citizens within our society. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which war, wage war against you. Be careful about your own sinful nature getting in the way of being a good citizen. Then notice in verse 13, submit yourselves before the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king or to one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the purpose of uh, punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such, you don't have to pray about this, for such is the will of God. There's about six or seven times in the New Testament where it declares to us, you don't have to pray about it. This is the will of God for you. But what about this? This is the will of God for you. Amen? Now, that's Daniel. He's functioning within the the kingdom that has taken him into exile and destroyed and taken captive his people and the land of Israel. But he's a man that exercises 
uh, good uh, judgment and is a testimony. And so I want you to recognize that's the way it ought to be for us. Please, I think I'm listening to the television and I'm hearing thoughts of believers acting in inappropriate ways, just flaunting their religion in the face of uh, our society leaders. Now, of course, we're to be a testimony. Please don't misunderstand me. But we don't have to rub it in the faces of unbelievers. Amen? With me? Now, I want you to notice then, the first thing is that Daniel's testimony is glorifying to God. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see as we look at this text. I want you to go with me over to verse 10. And in this section, I want you to see that he has been obedient. He exercises obedience to God. Now, we're going to talk about an exception to that. But he's been obedient. There's been no corruption, no negligence, no immoral behavior. He's been very ethical. But, verse 10, now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, that is, the injunction that they're to pray only to the king and to no other man or no other God. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows that opened toward Jerusalem. By the way, remember Solomon, when he dedicates the temple, prays, Lord, when our people fall into sin, they get themselves into trouble. When they turn and face toward Jerusalem, Lord, hear their petition. So this is a practice of the people of Israel. So he had his windows open to Jerusalem. And notice, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. May I make an observation? We don't have to be on the knees. Sometimes we're standing. Sometimes we're prone on the floor. In fact, I couldn't get down on my knees and get back up very well anymore. Am I making a point? All of those are positions that express our humility and our respect and glorifying of God. But that is not a necessary requirement. Everybody with me understand that? Then notice he says... He was on his knees three times a day. That's the second thing I want to see. He was on his knees, but he was on his knees three times a day. That's a rebuke to me. Now, I spent a lot of time in prayer, but during the day sometimes I forget I'm living in the presence of God. Now, something will happen, and, and I, I need some insight. Lord, help me. But I have my regular prayer time with Daniel prays three times a day. That's significant in my thinking. Notice what else it says. He was praying and he was giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. So he was asking and asking. That's a common word in the Old Testament for prayer. And, and he was doing what he always did. Now, if sometime down the road before the Lord takes me home, there is a law that comes out and says, you can't pray. I hope I have enough spiritual strength 
to say, like Daniel, you know what? It's better to obey God than it is to obey man. Amen? But notice, child of God, and we're going to look at this. When you make that kind of decision, you must recognize you have to live with the consequences. Okay? And that's what Daniel had to do. Now, notice, it says, he was doing as he had done previously. Now, we have just seen we're to be good citizens. Romans 13, we're to obey the leadership. And we see it again in 1 Peter, be in subjection, for this is the will of God for us. Obedience. But in this case, he didn't. There is an exception to the rule. And that is that if it is contrary to the law of God, then we're going to obey God rather than man. Amen? And those conflicts do come. Now, I know we have different levels of appreciation and understanding and familiarity with the word of God. Uh, But I want you to hold your place in Daniel, and I want you to go with me to the book of Acts so that we have two passages that can verify what we believe about sometimes having to disobey God. Go with me to Acts. Hold your place in Daniel. Don't use up my time. Uh, Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and verse 20. Acts chapter 4 and verse 19 and 20. If I can find Acts, it would help. Acts chapter 4. And verse 19. Everybody there but me? All right, now notice what it says. Verse 19. Now this is Peter and uh, John. And they've been told not to share the gospel, not to preach it. Well, they're not going to obey that. They're men of God. Notice what it says. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and we have heard. We're not going to obey that. Okay? There's an exception. And that's what Daniel did. Notice if you go to chapter 5 and you look at verse 29, same thing. Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. Amen? Now be careful. I'll remind you again. When you are conscious of going against the law of the land, you have to live with the consequences. And I want to say to you that many a time a believer in the past in particular has rationalized, well, if I do this, then this is going to be happening. And God couldn't possibly want this kind of adversity in my life. That's not true. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, all uh, the Lord is going to do everything according to his will. Why? So that those of us who first trusted in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In other words, things that come into our life, even the negatives, are things that we're to respond to in a proper way so God gets the glory. 
Amen? Oh, that amen wasn't quite as loud. Got it? Must obey uh, the Lord when it's contrary uh, to what the word of God, uh, what the land, law of the land says. Now, we've seen his testimony. He's a man of God. We've seen his willingness to disobey uh, when it's contrary to the law of God. He's a man of God. Then I want you to see another one. Go over uh, to verse uh, 23. And then I want you to back up a little bit and look at verse 13. Put the context with it. Verse 13. The king spoke and said to Daniel, going into the lion's den now, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. Then you skip down a little bit. And it says in verse 20, in the middle of the uh, verse, Daniel, the servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? And, of course, the answer is in the affirmative. Then in verse 23, I was found, Daniel says, innocent before him, and uh, that is God, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. There's the context. Then notice verse 23. Then the king was very pleased, and he gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, you see that? Now, if you're not careful, child of God, and we've already dealt with this before, if we trust God, he's going to deliver us. Not always. Everybody with me? How do we know that? Well, let's just look in this chapter. Go back to chapter 3. Hold your place in chapter 6, but go back to chapter 3 and notice what the three friends of Daniel are facing when they are possibly going to be delivered to the furnace of blazing fire. Notice verse 17, chapter 3. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Now, observation. They believed they were going to be delivered. But they also believed it wasn't necessarily guaranteed. Now, listen to me. There are promises in the Word of God that are general principles. You hearing me? They're general principles. They do not always have to be honored by God on a particular occasion. That's why these three friends and Daniel are in captivity. They didn't get delivered. They're captives. So the three friends recognize that. So if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if he does not, 
See it? So notice the text says these young men had a sense of security in God's promises. But at the same time, they recognized they were not always going to be honored. They would face persecution. In fact, they already were. This is an additional persecution. Notice what it says. But if not, so they understood security. They understood also, I'm going to use another word, calamity could come into their lives, even though God had made promises of security. With me? Then the third thing that it says, if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Third concept. Security, God's promises. Calamity, he doesn't necessarily always fulfill that promise in a particular case. But third, we're going to be loyal to him no matter what he does. That's what the young men say. I pray. I, I think I would be faithful in the, those circumstances. And I think you would too. But all of us have got to recognize that takes some spiritual, ready for this, guts. Amen? Now, we go back to our text, and we read that he trusted, God delivered him because he trusted in God. Now, my time's getting away. You remember Luke chapter 9? Here's a passage for you. Luke chapter 9 uh, and uh, verse 23. Those who would come unto me, let them, watch it, deny themselves, take up their cross daily. You never know what's coming the next day. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Cross could simply be a reference to the fact we're to do our ministry. The son's ministry was to go to a literal cross. But it could also mean for us we're to do whatever that ministry we're supposed to do. But also we may have our own cross. Amen? So the text is saying just because we trust God doesn't mean he is going to deliver us. We're going to trust God even when he doesn't deliver us because he wants to bring glory to his name through us. And we want to say, Lord, whatever you want, help me to be faithful to you. Amen? Now, one, there's two other passages. Because of time, I'm only going to turn to one. But I would remind you that if you go to First or Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, in order to, to give credence to his apostleship, starts listing all of the kinds of adversity he went through. I was hungry. I had to live in a cave. I was in shipwreck. I was beaten and all those kinds of things. And I don't know why we should assume that we would not have to face those things when the great apostle Paul faced adversity. 
Amen. Now, one more, and I want you to turn to it with me, and that is Hebrews chapter 11. That's a familiar one, but Hebrews, you've got 2 Corinthians 11, and then you have Hebrews uh, chapter 11. And I want you to see it with me, uh, where it describes what has happened to people in the past in the will of God. Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it starts in a verse about 35. Here we are. Right in the middle of the verse, there's a change. It lists all the things that God has done that are positive in believers' lives. Like, for example, in verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Then, here comes the negatives. And others were tormented, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking and scourging. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword and so on. Point. I believe God's going to protect me. But if not, and that can happen, we're going to obey him. I'm going to stop with this. I've only got about a minute. But my point this morning to you is this. I've had several experiences, and I probably could resurrect a lot more, of situations in my life with my friends and so on that verify the fact that God allows adversity to come. When I was in high school, the smartest guy in the class, I'm not going to use his full name, uh, but his name was James. Didn't call him Jim, he was James. He was absolutely... He was absolutely brilliant, head of the class, great leader. His daddy was a preacher in a big church. And they went out on a youth retreat on the weekend. And in Richmond, Virginia, where I grew up, a lot of thunderstorms come up because of the moisture off the ocean and so on. An electrical storm came up while they were out. And the lightning hit the top of a tree and split it. And the top part of that tree came down and hit James on the head. His daddy went to pray it. That's good. And asked God to deliver his son. That's good. But God didn't. Ready for this? The preacher left the ministry because he couldn't grasp the fact that God doesn't always protect his people in a given situation. We've got to be careful. One more, and I'm through. I had one of my students at Southeastern Bible College in my pastoral program when I was chair of the department. I saw him years later. He graduated, been pastoring. He said, where are you pastoring now? I'm not. What? What's going on? I joined the Marines. Nothing against the Marines, but he's supposed to be preaching. You know what his answer was? I was tired of being poor. Now, I understand that. But the bottom line is, regardless of what God allows to come into our, into our lives, we're to be obedient to him and his will. Amen? All right, let's pray. We're through it. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray now that you would help us to be godly men and women that glorify you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.